Well, good morning, C4. We're really glad you're here this morning. Like, really glad you're here this morning. Uh, March break and time change. Like, this is almost as bad as an ice storm. Close, but not as bad. So we're glad you're here. We want to say hi to the many of you watching, listening online, many of you in Florida. We love you or wherever else you are. And uh, we are glad that you're here today too. This is week two in this mini-series that we're doing in the month of March called On the Brink. And so if you've got a Bible this morning, physically or virtually, we'd love you to turn or navigate to the book of Joshua. Now, this mini-series is actually designed to answer some very critical questions in our church's history at this moment. Here are the questions that we are praying through and wrestling with, not only as a leadership, but we as the people, we together. What are the lessons that this local church, we together as the people of God assigned to see for, what must we learn and see and watch out for as we move into what God has promised this church and this region? What happens in a local church when you start stepping into what God has been preparing you over the long haul? See, this series is not about asking God for new promises. This series is not preparing for a move of God or unique God season among us. This series is about believing and more importantly, obeying God in the first initial days of God's larger move among us. So for the month of March, we are going to be looking at the life of Joshua to to see and to be warned and to be encouraged to keep following God in this growing, unusual season. Simply put, as the series is rightly titled, we are on the brink of what God has been doing. We're now on the brink of the fuller expression of what God has promised to us. We're on the brink of a larger move of God evidenced right across this church in people's lives. Now, last week, if you were with us this morning or joined us online, we looked at Joshua 40 years earlier. We had a conversation about the people of God being on the brink for the first time at the promised land in Numbers 13. And they came to the promised land. They knew that God was with them and that they decided at that moment that risk and comfort and fear and control was more important and more valuable and more key than God's promises and God's command. So now as we get into Joshua chapter 1, in one week, 40 years has passed. Joshua is 40 years older. He's about to lead the people of God into the promised land once again. They're on the brink once again. Now, let me just again remind all of us, Over 1.3 million people have now died in the desert because of their disobedience. The generation that said no has passed. The new generation, their children and grandchildren are now on the edge. And the question is, will they also choose fear and comfort and what is known over God's faithfulness and God's work? They are now on the brink of this new thing. A very old journey in a new season. Now, let me also remind everyone this morning that nothing has actually changed in the story. In the sense that every single thing that was against them 40 years earlier is still in front of them. All the enemies are still there. Actually, think about this. They've had 40 years to train themselves, strengthen, fortify their cities, and prepare for this so-called invasion. The promised land might still be full of milk and honey, but the land, if you know it, is vast. The geography is diverse and difficult. 
The the people of God are still nomadic. They have no military training. They do not have the best weapons of the day at all. And now something even more significant has happened. A new problem has emerged in the last 40 years. And here it is. The grand personality, the rock, the leader, the man who literally talked to God as a friend speaks to a friend, the guy who got the Ten Commandments, the one who walked into holy fire and did not die, the one who, when he walked off the mountain, was so close to God, his physical skin shone with the brightness of heaven, that guy that everyone followed and trusted, that guy named Moses, is dead. So you can't read Joshua 1 without reading Deuteronomy 23. This is the end of Moses' life, and it reads like this. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land. And the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, when I said I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it, Moses, with your own eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. The great lawgiver, the great miracle worker, the one who took people out of the Exodus, like this man that they followed, and this man who God called a friend is now dead. And because of his disobedience, even he could not enter into the rest that was promised. Now, if you read Deuteronomy 23, what's amazing is God loves Moses so much God actually buries him. And then it says, for 30 days, the people mourned. So now we're at this moment. Moses is gone. And every single person sitting here knows this. That when the presence of a key leader, one who is trusted and loved and over the long haul has led well, dies or leaves. It brings up doubt and fear. And always within the vacuum of leadership, disunity happens every single time. This death now brings up a whole new set of problems for the people of God, and they haven't even moved yet. Are they going to trust God? Are they going to step in? How would Joshua now do as the primary leader? And how would Israel do, not in just one battle, but multiple battles over a long period? And how are they still going to settle now a new 1.3 million people or so? And again, the backdrop to this whole story, let's be honest, is this. It's fear. The unknown is still in front of them. They have not crossed over the Jordan yet. That thing is still there. And yet God has not left his people. And yet God has not changed his mind. And yet God's sovereign decision will not be stopped. See, their God and our God does not change. So God in that generation, as he is with our generation of his people, he is always our savior from slavery, always our covenant partner in life and death. He is always our co-worker bringing God the Father's will on earth. And so at this moment, they're on the brink, and they are about to do many things we must learn from in this critical moment in our church. Joshua 1.1 reads like this. Hear the word of God this morning, church. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun. Joshua now moves to the center of the story. Now, let's not forget what we learned last week. Moses chose 12 spies to go into the promised land. And if you were with us last week, I I spoke on this. Joshua was one of them. Now, Joshua had a different name back then. His name was Hosea. And Moses, out of the 12 spies, only changes his name. 
and he calls him Joshua. Now, Hoshea meant either he saved or just meant salvation. Joshua means Yahweh, God saves. See, the name change for the future leader is intrinsic to the story. Why? Because even the name change is pointing out that self-sufficiency always kills a move of God. He saves or salvation. No, no, no. God has to be the Savior. God has to do this thing. Moses' very name change is preparing us for what is needed, but it's deeper. Like I shared last week, the Greek version of Joshua, anyone know? Whose name is it? Jesus. See, this story is a foreshadow for the greater move of God in Jesus, because here's what we're going to end with today. Joshua is great, but Jesus is the better Joshua. And not only that, the promised land was phenomenal, but our promised land, which is eternal life, is the better promised land. So right here at the beginning, we've got to remember that Joshua, who's walked with Moses for 40 years, is now going to enter the promised land, and his name means God is going to do this thing. So back to the story. Moses is dead. Joshua is now called to complete Moses' unfinished mission and lead the people into the promised land that God decided to give them. Now look again, do you see it? Verse 1, right there. And God spoke to Joshua. We cannot bypass this small truth. Our God, as we've sang, as Pastor Lori prayed, is a personal God. He is a God that speaks to us. He is a God that is not dead, but he is a God that is alive. He moves and he involves us. He invites us to help him bring his will onto earth. How needed it is for many of us to hear God's voice. What does God say to Joshua? Moses, my servant, is dead. See, Joshua wasn't there when Moses died. Moses died in God's hands. So God now comes to Joshua and says, your mentor, your friend, the great leader, he's gone. And then he says, now then, you. Can you imagine God doing that to you? Now then, you. Now then, you, Joshua, you and all these people. He's not saying that sarcastically. He means all these people. Get ready. Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. Get ready. This is happening. I, the Lord, have promised this. Get the people ready. And then the Lord points right out that the first thing they're going to have to do is cross the Jordan River. Now, we read that and go, oh, no problem. They're going to cross the Jordan River. No, no. Major problem. You go, well, why? Well, let me tell you about the Jordan River. The Jordan River actually is the thing that feeds something called the Dead Sea. Everyone know the Dead Sea? It's the place you can float and never sink. Okay, right? It is connected to the deepest gorge on earth. Not only that, most points in the Jordan River are surrounded by mountains, huge precipices up to 100 feet drop in, and at the small points where you could cross, oh, something else is going on that we're going to hear about later in this series. Oh, right, the Jordan is flooded at this moment. Anyone been near a flood before? Raise your hand. Anyone seen it on CNN in the last few weeks in California? Really scary. Now what's happening is you've got this unbelievably massive river. It's flooding. There are very few places you can cross it. There's over, remember, 1.3 million people that have to get across. It's like Ajax Pickering in Scarborough all getting together and go, we've all got to go together. Can you imagine? And they've got to cross a flooded river. And God says to Moses, I mean to Joshua, now you. You're going to take the people, and I have chosen as God the worst time for you to cross the Jordan because it's flooded. No problem. We're going to be okay. Can you imagine him and his inner, uh, how are we going to go this? How are we going to do this? How do I get a million people across? And as I'm sure he is thinking through the honest logistics of this, God says to him, oh, let me interrupt you. I am about to give you this land. It 
is done. I'm giving it. Uh Don't miss the power of this this morning, church. See, this is a promise prayed over, fought over for generations. Actually, this ancient promise, this land was sworn to Abram, Abraham 600 years earlier. This is the moment Joshua is there, the people are behind him, the Jordan is flooded, God shows up and says, this has been 600 years in the making. You better follow me. He says, I will give you every place Verse 3, where, you're set, where you set your foot, as I have promised Moses. This is God's gift, everyone, period. This is God's plan. It's not by their will, not by their power, not by their hands. This is God's kindness and providence. He says, look, I own the land. I'm going to transfer my ownership to you. And everywhere you go, Joshua, giants, fortified cities, no matter the flooding, the terrain, how strong and how scary the enemies are in front of you, I just want to remind you, I own everything. Oh, right, I am sovereign. I choose to exert my will and power to do this. My promise has not changed in 40 years. My promise has not changed in 600 years. Actually, my promises do not change because they are eternal. And I've decided that this generation... Not because you're special or amazing. I have decided to exert my sovereignty here. Joshua, get the people ready now. And then he says in verse 4, and he describes the territory. And if you know your, your biblical sort of studies there, that is the biggest extent of what Israel would ever look like. And then notice what he says in verse 5. No one, no one, Joshua, will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. I know God is saying to Joshua that you're half-hearted. I know you're human. I mean, all people struggle with fear. And I know that you're not stupid or unwise. You know what's coming is going to be unbelievably difficult. And so what does God do? I love our fatherly, our, his fatherly love. He says, I'm going to preemptively strike at Joshua's fear. He says, I'm going to so empower you and so empower my people that that no one, let me say this again, no one will ever be able to stand against you, not just in the transition, not just when you're walking into the promised land, all the days of your life. He's saying, look, I am God. I do not lie. I do not exaggerate. I don't have a problem with fear. I'm not struggling with lack of insight. I'm not saying this so you feel good, but I'm really setting you up for failure. I see all. I know all. I'm present in all times and places. Joshua, this is now the time. And then God does it. God speaks to the deepest need of every human heart, and he speaks to what every single leader needs to persevere. He says, Joshua, I am going nowhere. I'm not leaving you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm never going to desert you. I'm never going to abandon you ever. I will not disown you no matter what you face. And so since, Joshua, you know who I am, and you know what I'm capable of, and you know that I'm fully holy and fully loved, and you know I'm sovereign, and you know this has been 600 years in the making, and you know that I'm about to act, this is what I say to you, because you now know all this. Verse 6. What? Be strong. What does it say? Courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. It would be one thing if God just showed up to Joshua and said, Oh, be strong and courageous, and there was no background. It'd be hollow. This is not hollow. Joshua knows who God is. 
And Joshua knows that God is with him. And this, by the way, is the entire theme of this book. God says to Joshua, be strong, be powerful, be spiritually sturdy and well-built, be courageous. I want you as a leader under my ordination to be brave, daring, bold, gutsy, spirited. Joshua, you are called to be nothing less than audacious. Now, I'm sure at that moment, because Joshua's human, he had the mob scene in his mind 40 years earlier. He had the 10 spies in his mind saying, we can't do this. All the problems are still flashing in front of his eyes. All the internal questions, all the leadership problems. And then the great fear, would the people say no again? And then, of course, like I've already said, nothing's changed in the promised land. It's got worse. All the forces are still there, too powerful, too many, too large, too gargantuan, too heavily fortified. But into that fear and that worry and that anxiety, you hear God's fatherly comfort and God's sovereign command. Almost like a mix of reassurance and non-negotiable directive. Joshua, face your own fear. Joshua, face your own doubts. Joshua, you're going to do this with me. Look up. Look up. Stop looking down. Joshua, the promised land will not be won by you. You know this. It's not by human strength or amazing technology or your weapons or strategic insight. No, I am going to do this. I have come and I've decided that you are my leader and I am with you and I am also with your people. So God is basically saying to Joshua, and hear this closely, show me one person. You show me one force. You show me one thing in all of creation that is larger, mightier, stronger, all present other than I. Joshua, I'm not leaving you. I'm not going to relax my efforts. Listen, Joshua, don't you forget, I don't even sleep. I don't have problems. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm everywhere. I'm vigorous. I don't desert the people I love. My presence is going to go with you. No one can stop me. Get the people ready. Go and inherit the land. Now, I need to stop for a moment because that word inherit the land is very important for this series. The word inherit pushes us actually past Joshua, the book. Actually, it pushes us past them taking the promised land. It pushes us past David and Solomon, and and it actually pushes us right out of the Old Testament into the New. See, that little word, inherit, is the key word that is used by New Testament leaders to actually talk about the greater story. Peter, do you remember him? Foot and mouth disease, right? Loved Jesus deeply. Peter becomes the great leader, one of the original leaders of our movement. He's our great spiritual grandfather times whatever. He would write this about the promised land. I want you to catch this. In 1 Peter 1.3, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. The promised land is salvation. Joshua is not the better. Jesus is the better. See, this story is preparing the world, the world for this greater move. Don't forget that because this will matter at the end. Okay, back to Joshua. God knows Joshua so well, like he knows every one of us here and online. He knows that we're made in his image, yes, but we're weak, we're fickle. He knows we're fearful and we forget so quickly. He knows our aversion to risk. He knows that we like and hate comfort and fear. And we know, and he knows, that it's so strong in us that he needs to keep showing up. So what does God do in verse 7? God comes back to Joshua again and says the exact 
same thing. Be strong, and notice, and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses has given you. Do not turn from the right or the left that you may have success wherever you go. Joshua, I need to tell you this again because you're freaking out. I can see this. Here's the paper bag. You're going to be okay. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. Don't you dare run. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the risk. Yes, this is humanly impossible, but that is the point. If I wasn't needed, this would be a human task. Your fears and your feelings, your doubts, they may overcome you. Actually, they could cripple you, muddle you, confuse you. Actually, they may move the whole community to waver, make you tentative. It could breed despair. Actually, disunity could show up again or outright disobedience. But you don't need to be that. Be strong. Be steady. Be very courageous. Be resolute. Be bold. Or I love what Pastor Lori preaches at the young adult community. Do it afraid. Isn't that good? Do it afraid. And then Joshua is standing there and God's literal presence is in front of him as it was with Moses. So God's presence is there. And then do you notice what God does? Very important for us. He says then, and oh, Joshua, just because my presence is here, something else you can never forget. This is so significant. Oh, what is it? Right. You need to love my written word. If you know this, and of course at that time, only small parts of Genesis and, 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 and maybe Deuteronomy was written. Like this, it's in process. But the point is this. You need to love my written word because my written word will stop you from going to the right or the left. You must obey the commands of God. He says in verse 8, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Speak on this book. Meditate on this book. Know this book. In other words, eat this book. See, God's word is the ultimate source of knowledge about God. His will, his working, it is a place of wonder. It is a guaranteed place of encounter. Every time you open this, this ain't no novel. This isn't Shakespeare. This is not some religious text. This is the living word of God. Amen moment, right? This is God's word. And so he says, you must love this. Here's what we're going to get to later. Here's the point. At every significant move of God in church history, every significant move of God in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and then since, every time God's presence gets palpable and close, when he moves from sovereignty or, or providence to palpability, when suddenly in a group of people, God's presence is like, oh my goodness, we've intellectually sung about Jesus, but he's in the house. Every time sin is confessed, people are healed, marriages are restored, no one can avoid, there is no hiding. We sang a song today, there's no hiddenness because God's presence is so strong. But here's the other thing that always happens. When there's a genuine move of God and the presence of God is unnaturally close, people start reading the Bible, loving the Bible, uplifting the Bible, and they start living under the Bible. God comes to him and says, yes, my presence is with you, but have I not written down what you need to do? Be strong and, and courageous. Oh, right, and obey. Now, God must be a teacher because he knows that if you hear one thing once, you don't know it twice, so he says something again. He comes back a third time and says, 
Have I not told you? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. He says it three times. Joshua is so human like you and I. Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You see, we read the Bible like a comic book, right? And we forget that these people are just like us. Like Joshua is in the front, in the presence of God himself. And most of us think that if God's like Shekinah glory, like the fire and the pillar is right there, we're going to be like, I'm going to believe anything you say. And yet Joshua is in the presence, and God three times in his presence has to reassure him. See, God knows that even when he's present and moving, we still will question, doubt, and remove or reinterpret. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Verse 10, so it begins. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, Get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you, you for your own. Now, here's what he says. Joshua says, okay, it's time. Gather around. This is going into motion. Three days, we're going to do this. Uh, Right now. Everyone's like, right now? Right now. But we've waited 40 years. We're done. We're going right now. Moses is dead. No more delay. No more deliberating. No more doubt. We're moving. Provisions. We need provisions. Okay. So everyone has to get provisions. Do you notice it? Only for three days. No weapons. No conversation. The idea in the Hebrew is just get what you need to eat. Why? This is so significant. Why are they only getting provisions for three days? Because God knows and Joshua knows that self-sufficiency always kills a move of God. So here's what they do. God says to Moses, get the people ready. Joshua says only three days of provision. So all we get to do is walk through their transition with our provisions. And then we're going to have to rely on God 100% again. And so God says you only get three days of food, like Survivor, okay? And you're going to walk through a flood. It's the worst time to do this. No strategic planner would ever agree with this. And we're going to do it right now. Now we go, okay, this is exciting. This is getting good. And then another problem comes up that we don't see. So Moses is dead. 1.3 million people have died. We're still wondering if the people are going to obey we got to organize the people. you got to get provisions. There's this massive flood in front of us. Oh, and still, right, there's giants in the land and, you know, Jericho and a few other massive things that we all could get slaughtered. So, hooray, that's really exciting. And, and, and then something else shows up that we who don't know the story well miss. In Deuteronomy, something happened with two of the family members, the tribes. So, I, I won't work this all out for you, but in God's people, there were multiple tribes. And two of them were half-tribes connected to Joseph, not Jacob. Now they joined the people of God, and here's what happened. Moses gave two half-tribes land not in the promised land, but on the opposite side of the promised land. So two of the tribes have already settled. See, a lot of us who have grown up in church don't know this. So two of the tribes aren't ever going into the promised land. They've already got their land. They've already settled. They're not nomadic anymore. And they've settled on the east side of the Jordan. So here's the problem. God had told them through Moses that they could have this land with the caveat that they had to follow and go into the promised land when the invasion was supposed to happen. So why would God do this? Like, here's the point. It's not based on military might, right? Why now does Joshua, you're going to see it in a moment, going to these two tribes that are settled, they're good, you know, they're not manna and quailing it anymore, they're growing their own stuff, they're settled. 
And now Joshua shows up and says, hey, boys and girls, it's time to go in the promised land. They're like, oh, we're settled. You deal with your problem. We've got our, right? Like, this is what could, why is he doing this? Because of unity. We're all, what? In this together. So Joshua shows up to two tribes that already are settled and says in verse 12, Remember the command Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave to you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men must be ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites to help them until the Lord gives them rest as he's done for you. Now, I want you to notice this. Do you see the power of this? Not only must now every person of fighting age get out of their what? Comfort and their rest and join in an expedition they don't necessarily want to do. They have to go at the front of the team. They become like the SWAT team, the crack troop. They're the point of the spear. Not only do you have to join us, but you guys are going to lead us. Hooray! Off you go. So what's going to happen? Are they going to say, no, Moses is dead, that promise is over? Who are you? Is there going to be disunity in the people of God as they are about to enter into the promised land? Well, amazingly, thank God, there wasn't. Verse 16, whatever you commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, we're going to obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. I love how one person put this. As long as God's with you, I'm with you. If God's out, we're out too, period. And then they said, if anyone rebels against Joshua's leadership, they should be killed. I'm not going to preach that. That's not translatable to here. So, okay, good. So, and then it says, no, really, it's okay. We're not a cult. So, we're not a cult. No, no, yeah, okay. Uh, So, um, and then what did they say? Look what they say to their leader. Only be strong and courageous. If you're going to lead us, you better bring the heat. If you're going to be God's leader, you better be strong and courageous because we're not following someone who's not that. We need you to lead us. We're desperate for it. So, the question before us in this March season is what do we learn from Joshua 1 as we are now already entering into the promised land that God is preparing us for, which we talked about last week. Well, here's a few things I want to share. And here's the first one. It's very significant. It's about God's presence. And by the way, again, if you're starting to melt or disconnect or Facebooking, can you just stop and come back for a moment? This is so unbelievably important for us as a church. Here's the first thing. God's presence is paramount for us in this church. Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. What Moses prayed in his day is a prayer I pray for myself in our church all the time. Here it is. It's out of Exodus 33. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go up with us, don't send us from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me, and how will your people know unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? In other words, God, your presence is the only difference between us and the YMCA. Your presence is the only difference between us and any other good organization. And Moses cried out in his day, Oh God, don't you dare send us into anything if you don't go up with us. How will anyone know that we are different unless you are palpably among us? So the point here is this. 
We as a church have been doing this. I want to exhort and encourage you to keep doing this. We need to be praying, oh God, may your presence ever grow in this church in an unusual, unnatural way. Don't you dare send us up into any place. Don't you dare help us, uh, call us to reach Durham. Don't you dare call us into renewal or revival. If your presence isn't here, we're no different than any other organization and it will go do nothing. So, oh God, you better be with the leaders of this church and oh God, you better be with the people of this church and we are asking for nothing less than the weight and the glory and the power and the presence of God in a way we have never seen in our church's history. Why? Because you are asking us into a promised land we cannot do without God himself. So lesson one is the whole church has to be praying, oh God, more of your weight, more of your glory. I want to walk into this building and get scared because I know the Lord is present. I want the presence of God and the comfort of God and the conviction of God to grow in this church more and more. Yes, God is with every Christian, but we are asking for palpable. We're asking for personal renewal. We're asking God to spread corporate revival. We're asking for an awakening across Durham that is unnatural. His presence, his glory, his weight, his nearness exposes sin, heals people, humbles people. Oh, but here's the other thing we need to talk about at the beginning of the series. Ready? God's presence, when it gets close, when it's invited, when he comes, it draws people. Here's the other verse I've never shared with this church that I pray weekly. Or more. It's out of Zechariah 8. It says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. Many people and inhabitants from many cities will yet come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another saying, Let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord, of my, Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many people and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and entreat him. This is what the Lord of angel armies, the Lord Almighty says, in those days, everyone ready? Ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because what? We have heard God is with or among you. This is my prayer for our church. Oh God, that you would come in such great power that I would not be elevated, C4 would not be elevated, but people would go, we have heard, we have heard, we keep hearing that God is among you. What does that mean? I am praying that 10 people grab the hem of each person at C4 and say, we are begging to come to your church from many tribes and nations because we have really heard that God is actually, actually for real among you. See, we need to be praying for the presence of God to go up with us, not because we just want a religious experience or we want to feel really good for a while. No, no, this is about the nations coming to God. Oh, God of heaven and earth, through Jesus, our, the Son, through the Holy Spirit, come in such undeniable power, no matter the cost, where people start grabbing broken people at C4 and going, is it true? Is God really among you? I must come and entreat him also. His presence is non-negotiable. We must invite it. We actually must invite him. The second thing is God's word. Let me say that this book must become more and more dear to us as a church. This is the place of encounter. This is the place of evaluation. This is the ultimate source for our faith, life, and practice. And I tell you that every great move of God in history always has the danger of, of idolizing the experience of revival and forgetting that this is what matters most. 
As God moves more and more, as more unusual things have already and are taking place among us, as signs and wonders and conversions keep happening, as baptisms grow, as more and more people have dramatic encounters with Jesus and non-dramatic encounters, as genuine revival sweeps across the church, as awakening takes place, let me say, this book, the Bible, must more and more be at the center of everything we are because this will keep us from going to the left or the right. The church must love the Bible, meditate on the Bible, eat the Bible in the sense that it's in our soul because this is God's letter to us. We need to pray for God's presence. See, do you notice it with Joshua? His very physical presence is there and his word is there. That is the great sign we're praying for. Here's the third thing. We're all in this together, right? I just want to remind you that two tribes were already settled. Some of you are settled. Some of us are not. All of us are different tribes in this group. Some of us have been Christians for years, decades, months, days. Some of us have been in this church for decades. Some of us years, months. Some of you are like, wow, this is my first day. What in the world's going on? It's okay, we'll help you out. Um, like, here's the point. We who have been here the longest have to be the people first in the promised land. Want to say that again? We who have been here the longest... We who are settled need to show all the newer people that we're going to obey God in this generation like we did in the last. We all are in this together. Every tribe must come together and say, yes, yes, we're doing this under God's help. We need his presence. We need his word. We need his unity. But here's where I must end. Because this is appropriate as we prepare for communion. And it's this. Jesus is the better Joshua. The first three things are about what God is asking us to do in this season, but let me end it in the grand note. Just hear this again. Jesus is the better Joshua. The Greek name of Joshua is Jesus, and and Joshua is God is salvation or God saves. Well, Jesus is God, and Jesus is our Savior. And what's so amazing in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 4, the author actually says this, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not spoken about a ladder about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And then in verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. See, see, Joshua was only a foretaste of what you and I experience here. So let me just say this again. Joshua is great, but Jesus is the better Joshua. The, the promised land is great, but our salvation is, is better. And just think about what God said to Joshua. Every enemy that faces you, I'm going to overcome. Has Jesus not done that for us? Death, done. Sin, forgiven. Sickness will be dealt with at the resurrection. Has he not broken the back of the evil one? The promised land is done. And not only that, what did he say to Joshua? Be strong and courageous. I'm not leaving you. What was Jesus' last words to the church in Matthew 28? And surely I'm with you, what? Always, to the very end of the age. He's a better Joshua. And not only that, the promised land, the gift he promised us is true. We have eternal life. The promised land is not a piece of land. The promised land is a relationship that will culminate in the new heavens and the new earth. So I end as we prepare for communion with 1 Peter again, 1-3. Praise be, you can stand for this, we'll do this. Stand for this. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Jesus forever is the better Joshua, and and the promised land we've been given is not a piece of land, but actually is eternal life. Is that not worth celebrating on March break in a time change this morning? I would say it is. I would say it is. And so with a call to action, let me pray over this moment of response. Lord, I pray for our church and myself and all of us together. Number one, do not send us up without your presence. We as the local church called C4 invite and want the ever-growing holy presence of God, no matter the cost. Expose our sin, bring healing, change us, deal with our motives. We ask that even if you make us uncomfortable or you break our theological boxes, you are most welcome here. We ask for the presence of God. And we pray out of Zechariah 8, Oh God, may you be so present among us for a season that people will grab us and say, I have heard, I have heard, I have heard, I now must come. May that actually be true. We pray, O God, that the word of God would be loved, cherished, and obeyed in this church. We pray again for our unity, that we're all in this together. Preserve our unity as we're about to cross into new things we have never done as a church. And lastly, we thank you that Jesus, by your death and resurrection, you are the better Joshua. By the death and resurrection of Jesus, the promised land is given to us. We, we join the global church, every tribe, every denomination, every person around the world that loves Jesus, and we just say thank you, thank you that you are a God that really saves. Amen, and everyone says amen and amen. We're going to respond with communion, which is the great symbol of Jesus' death and resurrection. And if you're a Christian here this morning, you are welcome to these tables. If you are running from God, you are not welcome to these tables because you make mockery of the one who you know. If you're not a Christian, don't take this yet because you haven't embraced this person. When Jesus was about to die, he took a piece of bread and said, my body's going to be broken. He took a cup of wine and says, you know, my blood's going to be spilled. But this is my new agreement with you that in me, there's going to be life. And so come and confess sin. Come celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. When you come, say these words. Thank you that you're the better Joshua. Ask God if you have any sin to confess before you come. And then like Pastor Lori said, as we come, give above and beyond because the care fund is where we give to widows and orphans. Be generous with your giving above and beyond. As we celebrate the generosity of Jesus that are better Joshua, let us display that physically, emotionally, and spiritually to others. And so people will serve you, so let's respond together. Those who are going to serve, you can come up now. God bless you at this day. 